Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Hello, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Cooperative. Uh, this day, we're really celebrating Cooperative Impact Conference, which is the time that they've had it. It's all virtual. It's all this week. And I've been in the classes and really, really, really enjoying the, the theme this year is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, you know, they created a strategic plan about three years ago, and they had said 2020 was going to be the year for looking at diversity, equity, and inclusion. So they had created this theme long before George Floyd and long before it became really highlighted of covert and the inequities in our system. Uh, so I really take my hat off to Doug O'Brien and the group at NCBA, who's been working on this diversity, equity, and inclusion for some time. And inside of this program, this conference, they have the Cooperative Leaders and Scholars Institute, and they bring in younger people between, I think it's 18 and 35 years old. Matter of fact, I just missed it. I just turned 37 yesterday. At least that's the right digits. I don't know if the order is right, but that's that somewhere in there, 73 or 37. Hey, who cares? All right. So we have two people, two young folk on with us today, and we're going to start with Allison Hillebrand. Allison is a farmer. This summer she worked on a farm, and she also is working her, on her Ph.D. Good morning, Allison. Good morning, Vernon. So glad to see you this morning and to have you on the program. And we're looking at each other through Zoom, everybody out there, so that's great. And Allison, just tell us a little bit about your background. What kind of education do you have? Where did you grow up? Da, 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 that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, a little outside of the city. And then I went to school for my bachelor's and my master's in Boone, North Carolina at Appalachian State University. And that is actually where I first learned about co-ops in a class that I was taking that um, was looking at alternative economic models, and I really fell in love with it and started working with the professor of that class on a cooperative project she was doing. And since then, I graduated. I have been working in the nonprofit sector mostly, um, both working with Spanish-speaking populations um, around immigration rights and then within food systems, both with urban food systems and rural food systems. And as of a little over a year ago, I started my PhD at uh, the School of Human Ecology at the University of Madison, Wisconsin, where I'm specializing in civil society and community research. And I'm still completely passionate about alternative economics and planning to focus on that with my um, research and scholarship. Wow. I'm really surprised and pleased to hear about Appalachian State and you heard about co-ops in that world because I was on a board at Bluefield State College. I grew up in Bluefield, West Virginia, so all of West Virginia is in Appalachia. 
And I try to get these educators to understand about co-ops, and it was falling on deaf ears. So I'm glad to hear that Appalachia State, they had this class, Alternative Economies, and you learned about co-ops there. And and uh, what about co-ops uh, drew you to it? What's the passion about co-ops? I think for me, it was thinking about a different way of organizing ourselves, that instead of being based on individualism and competition, that communities could come together around um, cooperation, solidarity, and reciprocity. And I just think that there's such a need for that. Uh, the, the space that I learned about it most in that class was thinking about like international development work and um, the rise of neoliberalism and capitalism. Um, so that was kind of where I started that space. But I think there's just so much to be said about this time that we're living in and ways to think creatively and alternatively about how we organize ourselves. So that is phenomenal. Individual and competition. I would just want to add the word greed in there. This capitalistic system is individualism, competition, greed. And there's some great things about capitalism and I like it. I, I'm still a capitalist. I went and got my MBA to make money. But I found out that there was all of this competition and the greed and sometimes lying, cheating, stealing, bar, all of this stuff in this capital. So the co-op world I like, too, for working together, figuring out how we can pick each other up. And that gets to the values, particularly I like the ethical values of honesty, openness, social responsibility, and caring for one another. The golden rule is right on in there. So that's, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Glad you got it earlier. I didn't get it until I was... 48, 49 before I was introduced to co-ops. So I would have loved to have gotten it early or grew up on a farm or something and got it okay, back there. So you said you also were Spanish-speaking? How did that yep. get into your world? Yeah, so um, my undergraduate majors, I did uh, Spanish and Global Studies, where I focused on peace, conflict, and human rights. And then I actually stayed at Appalachian State for a year and did an accelerated master's in romance languages, where I specialized in Spanish higher education. So I've had a lot of education in Spanish, but then also have spent a lot of time abroad. And then when I um, finished school there, I was working in Greensboro, North Carolina, with a nonprofit uh, called Faith Action International House that does a lot of work with immigrant and refugee communities. So my job, I was speaking Spanish probably 70% of the time, um, working with different populations in that area, doing like case management, but also really immigration um, advocacy work. So that has continued today in the work that I do, and particularly in food systems, you think about um, who is the large labor force in our food systems. And there's a lot of immigrant labor um, in those systems and just a lot of need for, for being able to approach it from a different cultural background and to understand the importance of knowing different languages in those spaces. So um, have been able to continue to, to use it, but not necessarily in the same way as I started. Wow. You, it's exciting. And I don't, from Tennessee, you've been traveling the world, uh, romance languages and Spanish. Mm. I love it. I love it. So in this collective uh, leaders and scholars uh, initiative, how did you find about that? And what was the process that you had to go through to become involved in this program? Yeah. So I actually found out about it through Kathy Statt, who um, is the director of education at the Wisconsin Farmers Union, of which I'm a member of. And she leads a lot of the educational programs through Wisconsin Farmers Union, including their Camp Kenwood 
which starts teaching um, young children about co-ops from a very early age, and it instills um, those cooperative values. And so being an active member of Wisconsin Farmers Union and um, her knowing my deep interest in cooperatives, she encouraged me to look into the program, and I did. And the application was pretty simple. Um, it was on their, their website. I think it was the Cooperative Development Foundation and Clusa's website, um, and you had to talk about your background, what your experience is in cooperatives, um, any current roles that you have within the cooperative movement, um, why you're interested in what you're hoping to get out of the Institute, and then a little bio. And so filled that out and then um, was asked a couple additional questions. And from there was um, told more about the program and that um, I would be able to participate. So that's been a really great um, experience. So it sounds like you like me. You like to learn. And be I love learner. to learn. <laughs> okay. So what have you learned? Uh, what are some of the lessons you've learned? Uh, before that, what classes have you taken and what have they offered you in this program, this Cooperative Leaders and Scholars Institute? I think the, the one that I've really gotten the most out of and been able to spend the most time on was a class through um, St. Mary's University on member-centric governance and management, and that is part of the Cooperative Leaders and Scholars Institute. Um, all of the members were able to take part, and that was a two-day class this past Monday and Tuesday, and we just really dived into um, kind of a deep dive into everything cooperatives, um, but particularly how do you deal with um, really focusing on the members within the co-op and having that being your central focus. And then what does that look like and how it's managed, how it's organized, how it's run. And so that's been, I think, the space where I feel like I've learned um, so much and um, have been able to also see a lot of different ways that people are organizing their co-ops all over, not just the U.S., but around the world, which has been a great insight into thinking creatively and alternatively about ways to um, do this kind of work. So do you think you've learned some things that you'll take back and um, incorporate in the work that you're doing? Definitely. I think something that was really critical that we talked about is the concept of a type one versus a type two co-op. And that was around um, what are the goals and the purposes of the co-op. And so type one purposes, the central purposes around capital and um, either providing capital for the members themselves or helping um, members organize together so that they can, you know, have a, um, a better opportunity for lower pay for certain prices of um, goods or things of that nature, which is obviously important. But there's also this type two cooperative, which is really more of a humanistic perspective. So really focusing on the members needs, um, but also thinking about members more broadly. So not just the member owners of the co-ops, but who else is the cooperative engaging with? How does it relate to the community at large? And so, just this concept of trying to move towards a type two co-op in that you really want to be thinking about the work of the co-op, not just with its focus on capital and how it's engaging with capital, but really how it's engaging with community. Um, so that's something I think I'm really going to be bringing into my thinking um, and um, guidance around what it means to um, really uphold the cooperative values and practice. Cooperative values and practice and how to uphold them. I've never heard about type one and type two, so I'm glad that you're teaching me here today. And I would think that you'd need both 
you need the humanistic side and the capital side. Uh, you have to yeah. raise money in order to do whatever you're doing, and whatever you're doing is what's best for the members and this all of the stakeholders, which is one of the reasons I like co-ops, because it looks at that. That's the, for me the key focus of what a co-op is all about. Whatever services that they're providing is also what how you benefit and help the members. Okay. Um, what? So now the question is, what are you doing? What did you do on a farm this year? And what are the things that you're doing in the farming world as it relates, particularly as it relates to your PhD? Yeah, so um, this summer I was working on a, a fifth generation family farm up in northeast Wisconsin. Um, and I've worked on farms off and on um, for a while in, in North Carolina, in Wisconsin, and also um, abroad. And this summer, I was able to work on a farm that um, does diversified uh, vegetables and does grazing cattle for beef cattle, laying hens for eggs um, and pastured pigs. So I was able to do a little bit of everything, (laughs) I feel like, (laughs) which was really great. But actually, I was there to not just help on the farm, but do a community-based research project. This farm is really thinking about farming transitions, and I think that's something that Yes, is particular to this case, but also the findings we're wanting to see um, how they could be applicable to to farms more generally in this time where we're seeing farm ownership leaving the hands of different farm owners. And so thinking about how they could potentially transition to a more cooperative or community-based farming model and the role of a co-op business in doing that. So we'll be right back, everybody. We'll take our first break, and uh, we'll talk to Allison more on the other side about what she's doing on the farm. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Your news talk station. Information is power. That's why WOL is a great partner. The National Co-op Bank has been our sponsor for seven years now. This month is our seventh year anniversary. And the reason NCB is sponsoring is so we can give you the information about cooperatives, how they function, how they work, so you can start going and finding co-ops to do business with them, or you can start your own to solve whatever community problem that you may be having. That's what co-ops are all about. Helps to build uh, wealth financial wealth, social wealth, political wealth in communities to solve whatever community problem there might be. So we've been talking to Allison Hillebrand, who is a Ph.D. student and also works on a farm and has a wide array of experiences and things that she's excited about. And at the core of that is co-ops, which she learned about at Appalachia State College in her undergrad career. Allison, before we took break, we were talking about the different things that you are doing, and I'd like to get back to that. Um, Particularly, I want to get back to it in in the question of the things that you're learning here. You you talked about that type one, type two co-op, humanistic cooperatives, what's best for the members and other stakeholders. How will you incorporate that with the work that you're doing around your PhD and with these farmers? Yeah, so I think something that's been really critical that we've been talking about in 
the Cooperative Leaders and Scholars Institute and, and in the classes is really the role of democracy and the role of really shared governance um, in these spaces and how uniquely the cooperative structure allows for that kind of organization. And so I think when working with farms in particular, and then also when working with my PhD, just really thinking about what is the role of these types of organizing that really help instill this sense of agency and autonomy of both individuals to be able to really thrive, um, but also for communities to thrive. And so giving the ability and really honoring the ability of people to be able to um, organize themselves in a way based on their shared interest is something that I think this model really provides that um, a lot of other models might not. And so those are some of the the key things that I've been thinking about during these classes and thinking about how do we do that then in the role of farmers um, and thinking about who all is part of a farming community and then needs to um, have voice in, in these situations. And then also relating larger to just democracy and civil society. How does this type of thinking particularly um, provide opportunities to think more about organizing ourselves um, in community? So, as you were talking, I'm thinking about the first principle says that it's co-ops are open to everybody, no matter their gender, their race, their age, education, political affiliation, religion. It's just open to everybody. If it's a co-op and operating as a co-op. And the second principle is democratically controlled, one member, one vote. So this democracy shared spaces. So the theme this year for the impact conference is diversity, equity, and inclusion. So have you been learning ways of making sure that whatever you're creating in this farm world really is about satisfying that first principle and making sure that it's it's diversified, there's equity for all, and everybody's included, no matter what the gender is, no matter what the race is, Spanish-speaking or not or whatever? Have you, have you got that? I think about that all the time. Um, yeah, I think there's something that we've been talking about and hearing about in the conference. And then also you just see in um, kind of the food systems world is this notion of, of food justice. And so there's a variety of iterations of what that could mean. But I think there's a lot of conversation around food sovereignty and, and also thinking about the history of the United States and the history of our agricultural system that is based on plantation economics that dealt with the dispossession of land of, of the native peoples of this country and um, the enslavement through the um, that of the transatlantic slave trade and how that has continued in different ways, but that you see a lot of the remnants of that in our current agricultural system in the U.S. And so when thinking about cooperatives um, and thinking about cooperatives and farming, I think there's a lot to think about around the land itself and how is this land understood? Is this understood as an individual commodity that is owned or is this understood as a common space? And particularly for farmers and the farmers that I work with are are mostly white and are are mostly landowners. What is their um, role and also their responsibility to be a part of a space that addresses some of these historical and present day inequities around land access, land ownership, and then also um, autonomy and agency over what those spaces mean to those communities. So those are things that I think a lot about around the farming world, but also then who is at the table when creating co-ops and what does that mean about potentially being more multi-stakeholder in their nature or just really centering whose voices um, are going to be a part of that process. So 
Yeah. Wow. Okay. That, that's the mouthful. And how do you unpack that, particularly when you look at Spanish-speaking people, Native folks, African-American people, and then most of the land is owned by whites? And how do you get them involved? I just drove from Washington State through Idaho, Montana, South Dakota, and a lot of, of reservations. Just a tremendous amount of reservations out there in the Northeast. And I, I was driving in RVs. So I stayed in some RV parks on reservations. And it's just, it was there, but I was thinking about how do you get the natives involved in this co-op world? Because to me, their whole world of tribalism was uh, in this co-op where everybody had to, had to do what they had to do and everybody worked on if If one, if Allison didn't do her part, then I was affected. And if I didn't do my part, then you were affected. So there seemed to be they were cooperative in nature. So how do you get all of these different people into this world where then whites came in through this plantation economics you're talking about and basically took the land from natives and then worked that land with slaves? And that still exists today, some of that, that it carryovers in our system today. So as you think about this, how do you go back and put some of these things that you're learning into effect. That's what I'm really interested in this future thing, particularly coming out of COVID. Yeah. Um, so I think I'll, I'll preface with it, this with that I don't have all the answers. I'm still figuring it out myself. And I think. Oh, no. You don't have. <laughs> I haven't figured it all out. But I think what's been so critical in the work that I've been doing is really using history to understand and ground how we've got to the situation that we're at. And then in this moment, really moving at the pace of trust with communities. And so for where I'm at in, in northeastern Wisconsin, that land is traditional Menominee land. Um, but the Oneida Nation also has a reservation there. And so um, it's around, you know, building those relationships. But like I said, moving at the speed of trust and then thinking about, you know, the role of migrant labor in that space, which is um, a large Latinx population in that area. Um, and then there's a large refugee population in that area, um, particularly from Somalia. And then, you know, I can go on and on, but there's there's so much diversity in um, the spaces. And I think it's really important to both recognize that and then ground that in what are the historical processes that have led to this. And then how do we move really um, at that speed of trust in building relationships and also centering the voices, I think, in this moment, particularly centering Black voices around um, what that's going to look like and moving forward. And so, like I said, I'm not an expert and we're, we're still, you know, figuring this out and um, moving forward. But those are some of the things that we've been doing and engaging in those spaces. So what do you expect your research to be, your dissertation? Oh, that's a scary question. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say to be determined. But right now, I'm really interested in, in two things. I'm really interested in advancing the food justice movement. And I'm really interested in organizing ourselves um, around solidarity and around reciprocity. And so... Um, I think that, that that could go in a variety of directions. I have some time before I officially need to know um, and, you know, submit my proposal. But um, those are the, the two key areas that I'm most interested in um, within the space of food systems. Well, this food justice system it, it fits in with coronavirus, with 
all of the food has been thrown away and the people that are in these long lines and never expected to be at food looking for food and trying to get justice for the people that works don't work the land so there's plenty of room for for research in that one i'd, I'd love to see what you come up with and come back maybe when you figure out what it is you want to do and talk about it I don't quite know what you mean by solidarity and reciprocity. So could you explain that? You've got about a minute. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think for me, that comes straight back to cooperatives. Um, I'm interested in looking at um, organizing ourselves in an economic way that we are built around mutual aid and mutual respect um, and really not as focused on these individual interests. And so that's where um, I think co-ops is going to be critical in how I'm thinking about this and how I'm imagining um, what that looks like in food systems. Allison, I really appreciate your being on today. I, I like your enthusiasm, your passion, and really would like to, to have you come back on when you have more of an idea of what you want to do and how you want to do it. You can explain it to us. I'd like to learn from you. And we're going to take a break now. And when we come back, Brad from Philly will be on. Allison, thank you so very much. Thank you. We'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. Thank you, Allison. Your news talk station. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. Uh, we have Mr. Brad Ford, who's going to be on us this second half. Brad is from Philadelphia region, and he's in a cooperative, and he's doing a lot of different and wonderful things. He's also has won a spot in this year's Cooperative Leaders and Scholars Institute with the uh, NCBA's Cooperative Impact Conference. It's a virtual conference this year, and the, and the theme is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I've been on since Monday listening to different classes online, and it's just been phenomenal. And for those of you out there, I think I got almost 900 people in this conference, where when it was in-person conference, there was three or 400 people. So we've been able to reach a lot more people, and it's much less it's, it's only it was only thirty five dollars if within a time frame and then after that early registration it jumped to seventy five but that's compared to like three hundred dollars when it was had to pay for space and food and all of that so it's a way of getting a lot of people to see what this co-op model is all about and the benefits of it and how it may be an answer to this diversity and equity and making sure that everybody is included, every voice is heard. And we want to hear from Brad Forbes' voice this morning. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Brad. Glad to have you on this morning. So you're in the Philadelphia area, and you are your second term in a housing co-op in West Philly. This is my second term as treasurer of this housing co-op, uh, but I've been here for... Uh, I served on the board every year here for the past seven years since we founded um, our housing, our our, our house, Sankofa House. Um, okay. Yeah. So, so how many units are in this housing co-op, and how many members do you have? Uh, we have about uh, fifty members. We have um, several families um, living here. Uh, there are eight houses. Um, these are. 
um, some of those big converted, you know, mansions, um, and we we're housing several, you know, commu- what we call intentional communities within these houses. Um, and this is in the West Philadelphia, um, the, the Cedar Park neighborhood of West Philly. Um, uh, so Sankofa House is one of eight intentional communities uh, that is housing and doing our own uh, independent work in these houses. And right now we're actually in the process of consolidating that work that we are doing independently. We have a lot of great programs going on. Uh, we have a program called Books Through Bars, which delivers uh, books to uh, incarcerated people um, running out of one of our spaces, um, a local um a local gathering, another local gathering space called the A Space, uh, which is an anarchist progressive uh, space. Um, we have um, groups that do a lot of, you know, things like a, a group called Casa Sabera that I believe has a, their own podcast. What is it called? Um, what is it called? What is it called? Uh, Casa Sabera. Uh, you can find their podcast. I, I believe they have um, publications as well um, out. Uh, and we are we are now sort of orienting ourselves. We're just getting to this point because COVID destroyed a lot of our collective income, which is part of the diversity and inclusion conversation we might get to later. Um, we are really in a transformation period now, where we're 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 changing our our, our model to really be a more intentionally and self consciously multi stakeholder model, and within that, something of a service provider cooperative. So we're, we're capital building, and I'm going to plug our newly collective donation uh, bucket. Let me ask you be, before you before you plug this, and I want to hear it because if if you can convince me that it's something for me to uh, oh 100 donate some I mean, money, then I might do it. But let me. But I got to go back because I'm not clear on something. I got oh, yeah, Sankofa. Yeah. I got Sankofa. I got books to bars. I, and I got clear on books to bars is getting books to take the people that are in jail. I love that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I need, what does Sankofa do? What, what is, what is oh, your mission? Okay. So Sankofa is built culture on, we, we basically hold space for a tapestry of cultures, particularly specifically in the uh, African diaspora and in marginalized communities, we allow, we create this, Space for them to create their social context and to to hold their home here, really in parallel spaces. You know, it's it's one space. We're a house. We live in the upper floors, and then the the first floor is basically a community space that our community members, you know, people who, uh, as we ex- have expanded our network within the city, we've become a resource for folks who need space. You know, you talked about how much money it costs to hold a conference, right? It's costing people mm-hmm. $300. That's mm-hmm. a huge cost. Um, this, this spatial, the spatial cost and the ability to facilitate that space, we're talking about building culture. We have uh, Babel, uh, which is a poetry collected from Temple. They hold space here. Uh, we have, uh, when there was a, a huge rash, this is a major development, actually, in the history of Sankofa House about two years ago. There was a huge rash of uh, racism in the in the Philadelphia neighborhood, where uh, you know all of these sort of ra- racism scandals sort of came out. All this underlying racism sort of came to a boiling point, and a lot of the uh, black folks who were, you know, the black LGBTQIA uh, and, and and marginalized uh, uh, gender, you know, folks who were, who were in that space 
in Philadelphia needed to divest um, and find other spaces besides putting their time, energy, capital into these spaces where they were gathering and building culture uh, in this very extractive dynamic uh, with, once again, you know, white blind owners, white business owners. And so the Kofa House became a landing spot for a lot of that activity. And within that, um, a lot of great sort of self-directed black dialogue uh, emerged. Let me ask you this. If I needed a space to have a portrait reading or if I needed a space to bring people in to talk about the racism that happens in city council or something else, then I could book Sankofa House, that bottom shelf? Is that what that's for? That is, that is that is one kind of thing that we do. We used to host. Uh, that's one kind of thing that we do. We 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 had a, a, a we had a panel come uh, to do education. We have a tradition in Philadelphia in the black community called the Dunde, uh, which is um, a, a, a festival for the uh, the Orisha Oshun um, of the West African um, Yoruba traditions, and um, it's a huge festival, a huge connecting thing. And we 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 had a very strong. Uh, uh, we had a very strong come out for a pre Odunde weekend sort of cookout that, um, you know, hundreds of people would come. Uh, and, and part of that, uh, you know, during one of the last ones that we were able to host, uh, we had a great, um, you know, elder come and tell us about, uh, tell us about just some of the history and stuff like that. And, and I want to come. I want to come. <laughs> You're saying I get to I get to learn and I get to eat well. Okay, yeah, I'm ready. We, we're, we're building cultural economies here. So there's culinary folks. We have whole circles of of of, of, of chefs coming in and showcasing. Their, we have circles of, of 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 fashion designers coming. We have circles of, of of DJs and people who are who are 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 making different, doing different things in music. Musicians. I'm a musician, so that was part of how this started. Was you know, me bringing some of my networks in the musical areas uh, to sort of consolidate a lot of that cultural um, foundation and, and, and connection and association. With uh, I, I got it. Yes. Uh, Brother Brad, I got it. I got what Sankofa is. I got what Books to Bars is. Now, you said Casa something. It sounded like house, but I didn't get what yeah. the next one is. Casa Safari is one of our newest houses. So are you saying busy. are you saying are you saying Safara S A? I didn't like uh, I think knowledge S A B E R A. Okay, knowledge they, house house of knowledge. Yes. Okay. Yes. Got it. And um, I am not prepared to speak on their full range of activities. I do know that they just applied for. They might have gotten uh, a grant just as a, as just as their own unit um, for a lot of the farm. Work that they're doing. I do know that they have uh, a, a weblog. They have um, publications. They are essentially a uh, indigenous and trans indigenous, you know, focused marginalized marginalized identities, uh, specifically on you know that indigenous Latin American sort of okay. diaspora so, there. Uh, so, so Mr. Brad Forbes, what I've got so far is there are eight intentional communities made up of approximately 50 members, some are families, uh, yes. and Sankofa is the house that you live in, and your intention yep. is, 
you bring in a, a lot about the culture, about the African diaspora and different programming and so forth on the first floor, and people live on the top floor. You have books to bars where people are getting books to people that are in jail. You have Casa Sabrera, which is the house of knowledge, and they have a wide range of things that they're doing also, particularly the farmer, worker, I guess that's urban farming, I guess. Yes. Okay, so a lot going on with your eight houses. I got it. Now I would like to know that now I've got a sense of what you're doing. If I want to invest in you getting sort of all of you all now coming together under one umbrella because you cannot, COVID has made it such that you cannot uh, fundraise in ways that you did in the past. So you've got a PayPal account. I got that piece and then I cut you off. So I need you to tell me more about if I want to invest, how I can do that and anybody else out there that might be able to do it too. I mean, it just you know our PayPal is right now um, as the treasurer. It's my it's my email address right now. Uh, LCA Bookkeeper, LCA Bookkeeper, and that's all one word at gmail.com. And so if you type that into PayPal, you should be able to help support us. I wanted to just reference one of the things, one of the main things that we're going to be needing right now is to invest in um, this education component about how to do what we do together and how, you know, this cooperative education thing that the CLSI is, is a part of a bunch of information that I'm in the process of bringing together to create something of a curriculum that we can sort of tackle together um, to begin to have our own little core of knowledge about how to go about um, becoming a multi-stakeholder co-op, how to go about doing the work that we do collectively. There is an element here in the vision that um, I can't speak for all of us, but this is where a lot of us who are being vocal seem to be excited about going, where we actually, as a collective, do work for the community, provide services to the community. So it's not just a matter of what we already do, but something that we could do. Okay. Um Brad, I really appreciate what you're telling us about. Uh, we have to take our next break now. But I went to PayPal.com, and I don't see what the next step is. So maybe during this break, you can figure out what the next step I need to do, because okay. I'd like to see how to do that. I need to figure out what I can do to – I really want to invest because I like or donate because I like what you are doing up in Philly, and I'd like to get to the point where after COVID – I can come up and then share in some of this activities with you guys. Uh, yes. We're going to take our next break, and then we'll come back, and you can share more about what you all are doing there and what you're learning here that you can take mm -hmm. back. We'll be right mm -hmm. back, everybody. Please don't touch that dial. Information is power. That's why uh, this co-op business and why in why in WL is a great, great, great supporter of us. The National Corporate Bank has been our sponsor for seven years. I mentioned that earlier. NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. 
And uh, that's why they've just been a great partner. Not only have they supported us financially, but they've supported us in ideas and in ways in which we can enhance what we deliver to you guys. Um, they've been very supportive in all kinds of different ways, and we really appreciate having Chuck Snyder and, and uh, the group of folks at NCB uh, being a partner for us throughout all of these years. So we have Brad Forbes out of Philadelphia as our guest for this, this part of the program. And he was talking about there's eight buildings. They have a limited equity cooperative, uh, housing co-op, and the building that he is in, they're all intentional communities. It's in Kofa, and they work on uh, the African diaspora, and it's a space on the first floor where people can come in and use that space. Uh, and they were doing a lot of different things before coronavirus. And then there's Books to Bars in Casa Severa, and there's eight different houses, eight intentional communities. And now they're coming together to look at ways that they can fundraise, and they've created a PayPal account. You can go to LCA, which is the name of their cooperative, LCA Bookkeeper, who is Brad, LCA Bookkeeper at gmail.com when you go into PayPal. Now, Brad, before we took the break, I had gone on to PayPal, and I couldn't figure out when I just went to their their page how I would donate to you guys so or how I would even put in your email account so that I could donate to you. So what's yeah. that process? I actually just made another way to do so. You can go to paypal.me slash LCA co-op. Oh, you got to say it a little bit slower for me. Paypal mm-hmm. dot what? M-E. M-E. Me? Yes. Okay. Slash LCA C-O-O-P. LCA dot C-O-O-P or just LCA C-O-O-P. L-C-A-C-O-O-P. Okay. Hopefully that works. But that's for folks, if you don't already have PayPal, you should be able to send money that way, I believe. Okay, it says Life Center Association, paypal.me backslash. So that's, okay, so it took me right to where I can put some money in. Yes. All right. And we'll be funding things like basic, think like, Really, we have an educational an, an educational imperative right now. Um, we are actually an educational nonprofit. Um, a lot of what we do is educational work. Uh, we had Jessica Gordon Nemhart at hosting uh, for Jessica Gordon Nemhart to come uh, speak at the University of Science of the Sciences in a, in a, in a hall that they had, uh, which is a local which is a local Drexel uh, affiliate university right here in West. And so uh, that was a great thing that we were able to do right now. I just want to open up. I'm part of another co-op called PACA, which is a co-op of co-ops. It's a regional co-op development um, provider in the area. I'm a, I'm a vice president on that board and I've been on that board uh, for, for three years. And we're, while we're going through a lot of transition phases, one of the main things that we're coming up on is that there's not a lot of capacity education wise um, to deliver the co-op development and the co-op developer knowledge base that you need to really uh, hit the ground running when you're trying to build a new co-op. PACA has been really instrumental in putting me in spaces where I can learn these skills and be exposed to these concepts. And uh, what, as a board member right now in this time, I think that one of the things 
that a space like the LCA can do with our educational nonprofit is provide that kind of education, not only be an incubator for our own members to begin cooperative enterprises that solve community problems at reduced cost because we have this sort of vertically integrated resource system. You know, there's, you know, the idea is we would bring our food costs into this uh, collectivized resource system, kind of the same that we would, that the same way that we bring our housing costs under this collectivized system. You know, we're in talks with um, folks from the local farming um, initiatives, like there's a great farming initiative out here called Soil Generation. You know, we would like to be able to incubate a cohort of folks from Soil Generation and work with Soil Generation to acquire land that farmers can farm and be a part of our co-owned, vertically integrated resource economy. And more than just a resource economy, we're talking about, again, a cultural economy. You know, an economy where it's not just my resources, but it's what is what what do I do? What is my identity uh, relationship with this economy? How do I contribute, you know, uh, my time and take out my time resource and my labor resource? And how do we how do we respect that? How do we hold that? How do we maximize um, the efficiency of that um, of that? I don't want to call it really a transaction, but it's a. um, the very kind of thermodynamic kind of thing, you know, you put energy in and the energy is now in the system. And then you, you have your, your needs to take the energy out of the system through the routes that you, you do. And uh, this is where we're going to have to be going. So I've had Jamila Medley on the program who, who chairs PACA or the, the executive director of PACA. And that's yes. uh, Philadelphia Cooperative Alliance. Is that what Pakistan is? Philadelphia Area Cooperative Alliance, yes. Um, uh, Jamil has been stellar um, and, and has been a great guide and has really offered me a lot of opportunity to get deep into the cooperative developer uh, looks like I've been wanting to. So she's she's given me – I was on a panel with her in Baltimore a couple years ago, and um, – that's the first time I met her. I had her on a show. Then I listened to her at this Capital Impact uh, Partners. Uh, she she was on, on a panel there, and I was really impressed with the kinds of things she had to say about what you guys are doing in Philadelphia and in, in PACA. So you've got PACA, which you're involved in, and you've got uh, LCA, which is your housing co-op that you're involved in. Are there any other co-ops that you're working in? Um, right now, those those pretty much have my attention. Uh, those have my okay. full attention in terms of, of co-ops. So, Sankofa is sort of a, a, another, you know, the LCA is, is kind of like a, a Russian doll situation. So you have like a little co-op that we have to take care of in here. Um, and then there's the broader cooperative uh, placement and attention that has to be watched out for. And you're doing, you're doing both. I got the, now, what are some of the things that you are learning here as a new leader in this cooperative space? In particular, I'm interested in what you're learning with this diversity, equity, and inclusion of what you guys can do in PACA and in Sankofa. Yeah. I mean, Sankofa has always been, you know, a, a black led and, and really a black, um, uh, you know, queer and femme led except, you know, even at the very beginning where there was a whole lot of, you know, 
I can speak frankly, like in the black community, there's a lot of negotiation that needs to be made, I should say, between a lot of our community that does not accept or it has, has very um, violent positioning with regard to our um, gender non-conforming uh, uh, siblings. But that's a negotiation that, you know, we've had to, to deal with increasingly and we've had to sort of sacrifice some folks who weren't willing to, you know, come along. Uh, and that's one big thing. But also the LCA has, has had a huge change. We used to be a white. I came in here as the only black house. You know, um, there was one black person outside of St. Cole's house in the whole organization um, when I entered here seven years ago. And now um, we're almost at the point where we don't we, we have one house that we only have one house that's even predominantly white. And we're about to be at that point. Yeah. Soon. So as you guys have learned about co-ops, you get more and more people involved in it. You know, the money part is it, it changes things. Um, with a different demographic, the money conversation changes. So okay. that's just a big thing to note. So I, I want to thank you for being on, Brad. I thank you a lot for um, for for the work that you are doing in co-ops, for your coming to this program and learning more about it and figuring out how you can get more people, diverse people, hey, equity, and so that's equity in terms of financial, social, political wealth, and include everybody no matter what the pronouns that they may use. Thank you a lot for being on. Everybody out there, I'd ask you to please have a wonderful, wonderful week and live cooperatively. Thank you. See you next Thursday. Your news talk station.